Let's turn together in God's Word to Matthew chapter 8. Found on page 813 there in the Bibles under the chairs in front of you. Matthew chapter 8. As we continue our study on the fear of God, it used to be when someone was noted for their godliness, they were called a God-fearer, a God-fearing person. That's a, a good descriptor, and tonight we want to notice one of the fundamental characteristics of the god fear, and that is submission to God's Word, to live under God's authority. Just this week, again, we were uh, reminded, if you were watching the news, there, was a, uh, there were some midterm elections, and there were some items on the ballot in another state in Ohio regarding choice, and uh, we were hopeful, at least I was hopeful, that there would be uh, resistance to making abortion a constitutional right, but that was voted in as a right according to the Constitution. And there was some reflection upon that. What, what, what is going on? There were conservatives who were even saying that uh, this, this is, they see this as something of a right in the Constitution. And the conversation was basically what we want to conserve, it seems, today in America more than anything else is the right to choose, the right to have autonomy, to be able to say, well, I, I want to leave all my options on the table and I'll decide what, what, what I'm going to vote for or what I want to do. And uh, it's very troubling to hear uh, and to see that put into practice because we have to ask ourselves, if we're conservative, what are we conserving? What is it that we want to conserve? What is this uh, uh, land uh, that declares itself to be under God. Now, there's dispute about where that phrase came in and who voted for it and who didn't vote for it. But this phrase, under God, what does that mean? What does it mean to be under God, to be one nation under God? Does it mean that, that uh, choice is, is the, 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 the greatest freedom and, and that by whatever I, whatever I want to choose? Or are our choices determined by God's Word. When God declares, you shall not murder, does that protect all life, including the unborn? And this has become a, a very hot issue. And as I've said before, it's, uh, it's said, well, you know, you're messing, you're meddling with politics, but we're not. It's, again, politics is a way of organizing our society, but how should our society be organized? It should be organized by the Word of God. And this particular teaching is a teaching that preserves life and is healthy for a, uh, for a culture. When a culture decides that, no, we can determine whether one lives or dies, then we are standing over against God. And that's not a political stance. That is a rebellious stance. God gives the Ten Commandments. He doesn't say, when you read these, make sure that everyone knows these are ten suggestions. And uh, you can choose whether you want to obey four or obey nine or obey two or you can choose because after all, that's, you know, it's your right. Well, tonight we want to talk about living under authority. Jesus says, or he accepted that moniker, Lord, and he said to those who were around him, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? That's a very interesting question. We say, well, it's a term of respect, but don't take it overboard. Don't, don't, don't think that you can command and, and tell us what we are to do. 
we want to just be respectful of you and, and give you a nod. And Jesus says, well, I am Lord. And therefore, you ought to do, indeed you must do what I say. And those who truly fear God, those who call themselves God-fearers, obey, recognizing they're under authority. Well, listen to Matthew 8 as we introduce this matter of authority tonight, looking in God's Word. Matthew 8, starting in verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. So far the reading of God's own holy word. Your people of God, authority didn't come after the fall. It's not something that got introduced that, well, this is, this is now going to be put upon you because you, you've, you've not uh, uh, done things right, and so I'm going I'm to come down on you. Authority was there in the beginning. God established it from the very beginning, and God said to man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. There is a command and there is a, a consequence for disobedience to God's authority. The effect of this single prohibition was to confront mankind, to confront us head on with God's absolute authority. He says, I have the right to command with all my power. The effect was to make demand of full obedience. Since the fall, authority has been a problem with humanity. We have a problem with authority. We want to resist it in certain ways, and we want to abuse it in other places. We don't like to be told what to do, and if we're given authority, we're prone to abuse that authority. We misuse it at times, trying to get people to, to do things uh, uh, that, that we don't have the power to make them do. But remember, God fears submit to God's authority, and they do so gladly and willingly. We are to be a people who are known for joy in fearing God, for having joy in submitting to the Word of God, knowing that in Him there is life, and in His Word we find wisdom and the way that we are to go. God's authority over His creatures is one of the most basic principles of Scripture. Central to God's plan of redemption is bringing rebellious subjects, rebellious human beings under His authority. God is calling sinners out of darkness into the, king, the kingdom of His Son. Listen to what Paul says as he's speaking about when he met the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 26. In Acts 26, he's recounting what happened uh, to those around him on his road to Damascus. He says, the Lord spoke to me and said, rise, stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, 
delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul writes later in one of his epistles, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, this uh, similar sentiment. He says, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We are in the kingdom. We are under the king. We are those who are to submit to him. In Titus chapter 2, we read, Jesus gave his life to redeem us from all wickedness, that is, to redeem us from rebellion rebellion against his authority, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good, that is, to live under his authority. Some don't like that characterization of God. They've, they've kind of adapted the idea of moralistic therapeutic deism that god just wants us to be to be good and and to to care about ourselves and and he'll he'll simply make sure that wherever we mess up he'll just he'll just kind of keep things rolling but he's not going to make demands of us they'll say that your god sounds too power hungry and they'll use the words that we hear so much today he sounds like an oppressor he sounds like one who's trying to oppress. We feel oppressed. And we won't serve a God like that. No, we will serve anything and anyone who says your self-actualization is the most important thing. Whatever you want to be, whatever you choose to do, I will endorse it and say that's the genuine, authentic you. Just before the service tonight, I was talking with one of you about how a lot of these issues, these problems, in fact, all of them uh, can be resolved in this way. When we have a biblical view of God, what's wrong with the world? It's, it's sin. It's fallenness. It's Genesis 1. It's Romans 1. We've been turned over as a people in this land to do what is unnatural, to do that which is not right. It's, it's, it starts there, but if you remove the Bible from your Uh, looking at the world, then you do not have a sense of why things have gone so haywire, why they've fallen into this rebellious state. But God uses his authority not oppressively, but lovingly. He does not abuse his power. He uses it for good. He uses it for good. In the end, he ultimately destroys. Destroys what? Wickedness, sin, all of it. And he redeems. Even now, that is what he's doing. He's redeeming. He's calling people out of darkness to himself that they might walk in the right way. Go this way. Walk in this way. This is the way of life. Do not walk in this way. This is the path unto death. He does this for our good and for his glory. I want us to note tonight that Jesus is under authority as he comes to earth. The Son of God came to earth and placed himself under the law. Paul writes that in Galatians chapter 4. He came under the law. And why not? Why, why wouldn't he? We, we, we have to get that straight out of the gate, make that clear out of the gate. Why not? The law is good and it's right. The law of the Lord is perfect, the psalmist says in Psalm 19, verse 7. 
Paul says the law of the Lord is good. It leads us the way that we should go. It is not surprising then that he who came from heaven would obey and would be under the law. Through obedience to the law, he was, he was earning eternal life. And he graciously gives it to whomever he chooses. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the faith that the believer, the true believer possesses is a faith that isn't alone, as Luther would say. We increasingly love and obey God. We, we submit ourselves. We're under his authority and we, we find it a, 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 a safe place. Well, look at the interaction between Jesus and the centurion. Matthew gives us an abbreviated account. Luke records this event also in Luke chapter 7. He says that the centurion sent the elders of the Jews to Jesus to make request of him because he felt unworthy to do so. When Jesus heard that uh, this request was, was made, that the servant needed to be healed, he said, I will go and I will heal. And he's making his way, and Luke tells us that when he's near the home, the centurion sends more people, some of his friends, and says, no, no, the, the, we don't want to bother you. We don't want to trouble you. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. He recognized that Jesus had power to heal with a word. What he was recognizing and what Matthew points out is that he sees in Jesus the Lord in the flesh. He addresses him as Lord, not understanding that he is Lord of heaven and earth, but as a term of, of, of respect. And he recognizes that Jesus is under authority. Where do we see that? Verses Uh, Verse 9, but leading in with verse 8, the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For And then verse 9, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I give these commands and they obey. He says to Jesus, I also am a man under authority. He was under the emperor. He spoke for him and had the emperor's authority when he commanded others obeyed. The centurion saw in Jesus one who represented God and spoke for him. He was invested with God's authority. When he spoke, God spoke. That's what Matthew's trying to communicate in his gospel. He's trying to communicate that to those who would read his gospel, that Jesus is God, co-eternal with the Father. When he took on flesh, he did so to fulfill all righteousness. Sin had to be punished in the flesh for man sinned and therefore Sin had to be paid for by a man. He took our sins upon himself, living under the law, not transgressing in anything in thought, word, or deed, living perfectly that he might offer up the perfect sacrifice for us. We see that he lives according to the law because he sees the law as good and right. When the centurion says to Jesus, I too am a man under authority, Jesus doesn't correct him here. He doesn't say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. No, no. You're misunderstanding. I am not under authority. I'm the Lord. Could he have said that? What does he say when he's confronting the Jews in John chapter 8? He says, before your father Abraham was, I am. I am Lord. I am God. He could have easily said that, but as as to his flesh, he was under the Father, having come to fulfill all righteousness. 
And then he goes on in, in Matthew, or he goes on earlier in Matthew, he says, I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. He warned, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, as he's just uh, uh, given the Beatitudes, that these are the laws which govern us. These are the, 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 the way that this is the way that we should go. He's not saying that now that I've come, you can live however you want. Because whatever you do, I'm going to going to cover over all your sins and just live it up. He says, no, you are now seeing in me how you are to live. And I am coming to fulfill the law that I might earn salvation and give it to whomever I choose. Jesus said that he had come to do the Father's will. I've come down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me. John 6.38, he possessed the spirit of the fear of the Lord, we recognize. And he delighted in the fear of the Lord, to obey the Lord. That's what the child of God looks like. We obey the Lord. The law is to be taught. It is to convict, but it is also to guide, to show us as spirit-filled believers how we are to live the path we are to take. Well, the centurion recognized Jesus' authority. He recognized that Jesus could heal with just a word. And as I said, Matthew is picking up on this. He is acknowledging that Jesus could heal because he was God, co-eternal with the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All that has been made was not made other than what he had made. He's made all things. John 1, 1 to 3. Now, the centurion spoke of his own authority. He says, when I give command, they listen. I say, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. But he sees in Jesus a greater authority, one who could command to bring wholeness to creation, to one's body. When he commands, and whatever he commands must be obeyed. He has divine authority. And he will judge, we read in 2 Corinthians 5 and Revelation 20, he will judge everyone according to what they do while in the body. At the final judgment, the declaration for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is this, not guilty. But to all those who say, I come and I offer my best to you, and that's that's good enough. He says, you say, Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I say. I, I don't know you. Depart from me. We give account for every word, Matthew twelve thirty six says. Those under authority, he is Savior and Lord. So how do we show our reverence, our fear for God? We do so by living in obedience to him giving thanks for the promise of the gospel of grace, understanding this, that the gospel of grace is not opposed to righteousness. The gospel of grace is opposed to, and you've heard me say this before, you can, I know you don't shout out, so I won't ask you for the answer, but the gospel of grace is opposed to self-righteousness. It says you 
can only come to me as I graciously provide salvation in my Son. You can't come on your own righteousness. You come in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one who has sinned can come before me and live. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who is pure in heart. We are those reckoned righteous in Jesus Christ by faith. We dare not come to God by any other path or any other means. We recognize that as we live, we are those who learn about the Lord and grow in our our understanding of the Lord. You remember that little exchange I gave from the Chronicles of Narnia some time ago where Lucy sees Aslan after a long time, Aslan being a picture of Christ, and she says, you've grown. And, and, and Aslan says, no, you've, you've gotten older. You've, you've come to a deeper understanding of who I am. And now you see me as bigger, as greater, as holier. And that then leads us to live in a more circumspect way, wanting to live more carefully, measuring our steps before him. The Spirit of God works faith and the Spirit of God works holiness. Fear of God and the children of God. He gives new life to lead the sinner to obedience. We're not autonomous. We do not make a practice of sinning, but we submit to God. Listen to what John writes in 1 John chapter 3. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. He says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. There is a new habit. There is something which characterizes the child of God now. It is obedience. It is desire to follow after God and his, his word. It is not a decrease in holiness or a more casual approach to God, but rather a more careful and reverent approach to God. All people everywhere live under God's authority. Some live in rebellion. Others live in faith under God. Paul says this, since we know what it is to fear God, we make it our goal to persuade others. That's what we're called to do, to persuade others that God is not to be trifled with. We don't just say, well, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It doesn't really matter what you do. And just, we just want to tell you that. Here's a, here's a card. There's a clear declaration of his holiness and that no one may come to him apart from a righteousness that is greater, indeed, that is perfect. That is the righteousness of Christ. He wanted others to hear of God and to bow the knee to obey him. At the end of his earthly sojourn, Jesus said to his disciples, what? Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In his defeat of death, Jesus stood before the ancient of days and received everlasting dominion over all peoples and nations. 
and languages. Listen to what Daniel sees in Daniel 7, those very words. Daniel 7, he records, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. We are in those last days where we await his return. The next event in redemptive history is his return. Before Jesus ascends, he says to his disciples, Go. The centurion recognized authority in that command. He gave that power, that command himself to go. Christ says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, note this, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. There is that call to teach, to submit to God, to reverence God, and to obey His commands. It impacts everything, how we think, how we dress, how we use our resources. What is first and foremost in our minds, the kingdom or our appearance and acceptance before man? We're not free from obedience to God. God has a right to be believed and obeyed. He is God. He's established the world and decreed how it shall stand. We cannot remake it. We cannot reject it. We cannot disobey him thinking that this is freedom. To disobey him is death. To be under his authority, to listen to his word is life and freedom. The Spirit of God is in us. We're freed from sin's curse and power. We're freed to love, to serve one another. Galatians 5.13, we're free from that which brings death. We're free to live into the life that is true life. Now, we aren't going to look tonight at the authority that God has established on earth, submitting to the authorities that God has established We recognize there will be times that we are at odds with worldly authority. For worldly authority rejects him and wants worship for itself. We are to obey in all things lawful. And then we are reminded that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We are to obey in all things lawful and to obey God absolutely, no matter what the consequence And following the witness of our Lord Jesus Christ, we seek to persuade men to submit to him and turn from wickedness. As Paul says, the love of Christ compels us to do this. Do we we wonder what that looks like? It looks like witness. It looks like evangelism. It looks like telling others about Jesus Christ and about the God who has offered plan of salvation. To be under authority is to be Christ-like in living. Submitting to God is a sign that one has been freed to think rightly by the grace of God. It is not a sign that one cannot think for himself. 
It is, as Paul says, a transformational experience in our thinking. Such that we can say along with him, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. The life I live in the body, I now live in the glory of God, for the glory of God. The life I live in the body is for the glory of God. And I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is our testimony and a word to which all God's people can say, Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to be those who are identified as God-fearers. That others might see our courage and our, wor- and our words and our living and say they are unafraid. They are unashamed. We want to be identified as those who are humble, not arrogant and obnoxious, but those who are unashamed. Lord, may, may we be such people. We have this treasure, the gospel in jars of clay and weak bodies, but that is so that the power might be seen as of you and not of us. Use us, even in our weakness, to be witnesses of that life-giving message. We can be saved from sin through faith in Jesus Christ. Hear us for his sake, we pray. Amen.